Welcome to episode 28 of the podcast. Today we had across the pond to speak with Dr. Ronald Frederick, clinical psychologist and senior faculty member of the Accelerated Experiential Dynamic Psychotherapy, AEDP, Institute. Ron carefully explains what AEDP is and how it came to be. Ron puts forward and unpacks how AEDP is an attachment-based, neurologically informed, emotion-focused psychotherapy. We discuss what this means, the importance of the relationship between therapist and client, the bottom-up approach, experiencing emotions in a complete manner, how AEDP relates to memory reconsolidation, unique aspects of AEDP such as metaprocessing, and our innate ability to heal. To help others find out about the therapies that are covered as part of this podcast channel, please make sure to leave a review. Hi Ron, thanks for joining me. It's nice to be here, James. Pleasure to have you. Today we're going to speak about something called Accelerated Experiential Dynamic Psychotherapy, which I think has the most syllables of any of the therapies I've spoken about so far, by a long shot, probably more commonly known as AEDP. This is something that I only came across quite recently, maybe within the past six months. I'm not sure, you know, maybe we can speak a little bit more about how new it is, but I'm sure plenty of my listeners are probably, it's probably their first time hearing it as well. Could you maybe begin by explaining a bit about AEDP? I'd be happy to. Um, I'm always happy to talk about AEDP. It's been a part of my uh, personal and professional journey for a long time. I first discovered AEDP actually before it even had a name, and that was in 1994. Okay, so uh, it's it's been a while, and I can tell you a little bit about how it came to be, which helps to also explain it. But uh, let me just start by saying, so AEDP, Accelerated Experiential Dynamic Psychotherapy, is an attachment-based, neurobiologically informed, emotion-focused uh, psychotherapy. So that's another mouthful. And if I were to break that down in the moment, so attachment-based, what do we mean by that? We understand that our brain is really shaped in the early years of our lives through the significant relationships that we have with our caregivers. It's really like we're born into the world with a brain that's like a lump of clay. And then it's through our experiences that the um, architecture of our brain is being created through our emotional experiences, emotional slash relational. So it's all attachment based. And that aspect of um, the attachment aspect really it operates on many levels in AEDP. Uh, we start with an understanding of the significance of attachment and how safety and security of attachment um, actually uh, paves the way for health and growth. Uh, when we feel safe and we feel seen and we feel reliably connected, that is when our caregiver will be there when we really need them, we feel safe in the world and that um, inspires us to explore and to grow and to learn. And it's through exploration that the self really uh, grows and is able to flourish. 
Now these are innately wired in dispositions um, to develop, to grow, uh, to actualize. Uh, so we call on the attachment relationship, that is, then how it shows up with a therapist, to really maximize uh, the client's relational experience so to be able to tap into and allow for the safety that allows healing and transformation to take place. A fundamental principle of AEDP, it's really a healing-based model. Healing, actualization, a growth, connection is all innate and wired in. And uh, we call that in AEDP transformance. Rather than resistance, we are wired to transform and wired to heal. So, so from the very beginning, we're looking at how we can tap into and free up the client's capacity to grow and to heal. So in this way, it's a healing-oriented model versus a pathology-oriented model. In a pathology-oriented model, which a lot of earlier models were, it's about what's wrong and what needs to be fixed. It's not so much about fixing in AEDP, it's about allowing and fostering our innate capacity to grow and to do these things and to connect. So we see the basis of being able to do that in security and um, safety in relationships. So we really show up uh, in AADP as a live, uh, feeling, um, open, supportive, affirmative uh, therapist. We call on what a, what a good enough caregiver, caregiver would be doing in, in the relationship. So that's a bit about attachment. And a big part of attachment is doing something together. And we see in AEDP where things go wrong is when the person is left um, in unbearable aloneness. So things happen, but things happen to us if we have someone there if we have safety and security, we learn how to navigate it um, and we get through it and we're stronger for it. But for whatever reason, when there are, um, we might say failures on the part of a caregiver or later on in life, different traumatic things that happen to us and we're alone or we don't have the capacity or at some point, you know, aren't able to really work with our feelings, uh, it's overwhelming, and then it's avoided. So by being present with a client in a lot of different ways, we can help to make it feel less overwhelming and allow for a transformative process to happen. Now, the other piece I want to touch on, it has to do with emotion and the transforming power of emotion, which is what... Um, Diana, uh, Diana's first book is, and it also speaks to the experiential aspect of AADP. Um, you know, we're wired to connect and we're wired to feel. And uh, as, as everyone knows, and especially people who are parents, or if you've been around children or infants, you see very early on how our 
uh, emotions come on the scene and they're all there and they're there for a reason and they're there to be helpful for us. Uh, they're, uh, they guide us, they um, give us direction, they make meaning of our lives um, and what's happening for us. And um, what happens early on is when there's discomfort around emotion or um, caregiver may have their own anxieties or their own experiences that interfere with them being able to be present and help, help the child with their emotions, we adapt and we end up um, uh, avoiding emotional experiences or suppressing aspects of ourselves that seem to threaten the attachment relationship. So what we see, what comes through the door for when we're with clients are people whose emotional experience has been hampered, thwarted, suppressed in some way. And so we're using the attachment relationship that's focused on emotion and feeling to free up the person's emotional self. And that's where health lies. That's the experiential part because it's experience. We can't just talk about these things. The experience of emotion and connection happens in the body. So AEDP is a bottom-up model. And we're focusing more on inner process, the here and now process, what's happening inside of you, leaning into experience, leaning into and making more room for and learning how to tolerate and be with and get the good stuff out of emotion. Uh, our emotional experience to process them, them through to completion so that ultimately what happens is the person is more fully integrated and functional and that they can flourish. So I just said a lot. Now you tell me, James, if I'm making sense and if this is resonating for you at all and your listeners. Oh, yeah, you're making a lot of sense to me, Ron. I think uh, maybe because of the job I do and the podcast that I host, much of what you said comes up in numerous therapies, particularly what you might consider trauma-informed therapies, bottom-up therapies. Have you, have exactly. You yeah, it, it sounds like it resonates a lot on those levels, the importance of attachment and the importance of the therapeutic relationship and how that can be a vessel for change, because that's kind of what it sounds like. That's what it's aiming at. And the importance of experience, because that really, it's an experiential model. And so be the importance of working from the bottom up and seeing the markers for emotional uh, experience, seeing the markers for flourishing, for healing, for innate desires for connection, and helping the client open up to those, um, we're really tapping into something that's innate. But what I also want to underline, it's that what we know about neuroplasticity is that neuroplasticity happens through um, experience. So what is emotionally charged, what is held in awareness, what is felt on a number of levels, uh, the more that that's happening, and particularly how relationship supports that process, because the relationship is also being seen and being felt 
and it doesn't happen in a vacuum, that gets a lot of neurons firing and wiring together. And that's changing. It's causing new learning, but it's also changing and can change when we work on it in a particular way, the wiring that's there already. What I gather is the importance of working on what's in the room, being mindful of that and uh, astute, tuned into it, um, and that yeah. can be a corrective experience. That's, I'm not sure, is it a significant part of it, but that seems to be a key yeah. part of it, those corrective experiences. Yeah. You mentioned something a little bit earlier. I wondered if you could expand on that to process to completion. Can you explain what you mean by that? Absolutely. Um... The trajectory of an emotional experience is one in which there's a beginning, middle, and an end. And the reality is, emotions don't last for very long. Uh, it may be surprising to some people, to our clients, because that's part of what they fear. If I open up to my sadness, or I feel my anger, I won't be able to control it. I'll end up wallowing in it. But that actually is also is speaking to affect that's not regulated and it's affect that's not fully felt through to completion. And so there's an arc uh, of the emotional experience. And our experiences can be subtle and actually also fly under the radar, which is important for us to begin to recognize because we're missing important data when we're not aware of it. Um, and, you know, we all know that we can be overcome with emotion, but through the relationship early on in life, we develop the capacity to be able to move through our feelings. And then when we move through our feelings, there are adaptive action tendencies and information that comes. What does that mean? Well, and uh, any of our emotions, it's really um, what there is a prompt toward action in there. So when we're in touch with our anger, it's telling us one, there's been an offense, right? And then it also prompts us to do something that may be to speak up or to set a limit, uh, to have boundaries. Um, we, uh, the act, adaptive action tendency of sadness is to grieve a loss, or it may be to share it with another person, to express it. It may be that we want to, um, you know, pull inward and we need time uh, to, to rest and, and rejuvenate. It's giving us information. So when we're able to stay open to the feeling, ride out those waves, it actually takes us to the shore. It takes us to a better place. This is all about emotional processing. And a lot of us can get stymied in that process and not even realize it. And so then we get stuck in emotional experiences there may be anxiety that's woven in with a lot of our emotional experiences or our emotional experiences get distorted. And we're working in AADP to open up to them, but also to work with them in a window of tolerance. So then we're in a window of tolerance. We can actually move through them in the way and develop the capacity to move through them in a way that, um, that we can then really benefit, which is what we're wired to do. 
right? So in this way, we're like trying to turn back, come back to the beginning and say, okay, this is what we're wired to do. We need to help you to be able to do that. There's an, an innate ability to do it. And the EDP is trying to create a container to facilitate that. Right. And I'm going to go on a little bit of a limb here to, to kind of summarize what you just said there and to try and kind of make sense of it, Ron. It's like um, maybe from a, I'm not sure how well memory reconsolidation overlaps with AEDP, but it does. if we might, mm, so we might think of it as like uh, someone comes into to the therapy room and, you know, there could be lots of things that come up, but one thing comes up and we might think of it as like a, a network of memories being activated, like the template for how they make sense of the world. Like it's, I can't talk about things because it's shameful or, um, it's dangerous, it's unsafe, and so that's that memory's activated. It, it, and if the more you can lean into it, the more you activate it, the more it becomes maybe that bit more plastic, more malleable, and that's the opportunity, that's the window has been opened to reshape that through the experience that you have with the therapist. And then that's, is that kind of what is happening? I mean, it might be quite a reduced way of looking at it. Oh, James, you are spot on. You're making me smile um internally and externally because this is you're really uh it's very accurate what you're saying and it's absolutely the case and it's something we've been talking about as memory reconsolidation has become more in our awareness and what we're learning it's something that we're we're talking about and really looking at how we can harness um one's capacity uh, for uh, uh, memories to be changed and resolved and um, on a very deep level. So you're absolutely right. So when you work experientially and particularly relationally, it's going to light stuff up. And if you're trying to lean into feelings, like you said, it's going to light memories and early learning up around, is it okay for me to share? Uh, is there anxiety mixed into it? Um, and and exactly that, when that is lit up, uh, then it becomes more malleable. So in AEDP, we're focusing on what happens implicitly because the wiring all shows up in an implicit way. And we're making it explicit because then when it's explicit, we bring it into the room and we focus on it. You know, that's where change can happen and we can work with it and we can foster a new experience, right? Because we're wanting to not only um, uh, light up what's, um, you know, early and what's difficult and what's hard or bad, so to speak, um, so that it's open for change. We're trying to bring a new disconfirming experience, which is part of memory consolidation, that juxtaposition into it. And we're working on an experiential level. But then in AEDP, what we call metaprocessing is a huge part of the work and absolutely essential to this process. And what metaprocessing is, is reflecting, having had an experience, we're now going to reflect on it. So having really leaned into the right brain, we're now going to reflect on it. So we're going to bring the left brain in line so that we all aspects or regions of the brain can start to commute, can communicate with one another. And we want more integration. So we can also say we opened up the old memory. We're having a new experience. Let's bring them together. So we ask questions like, so what's it been like for you to do this? 
what's it been like for you to get in touch with these feelings? What's it been like for you to get, you know, touch your anger and work through it? What's it been like to share it with me? How have you been experiencing me? Because the early experience may have been with a caregiver or person or person in the life or people who had a negative response and that's part of what made it um, you know, unbearable and then suppressed. And here, hopefully, if all goes well, you're having a new experience with someone where it's okay and not just okay, but good and helpful and truthful for me to be able to show up in this way with another. And that, we're reflecting on that. We're asking these questions of what's that like and what's that like. So, so what's inside is really getting updated. But what we also find is as we're meta-processing and we're asking these questions, a whole host of healing and transform transformational affects come online. So people reflect on their experience and have more feelings. So for instance, they may feel moved. They may feel grateful. They have a sense of truth. Aha, this is me. I haven't felt this way before. They may feel a sense of mastery where once they felt small and everything felt overwhelming. Now they feel like, oh my gosh, I did this and maybe it wasn't so bad or actually I feel more empowered for it. I feel more myself and that brings up a realm of feeling. And then sometimes in that experience, when they taste what it's like to recover these aspects of the self that were lost to them in the past, it brings up grief, what we call a mourning for the self. It's a mourning of the self that comes once we meet up with and taste and have the experience of these capacities. It's not a mourning that comes from, oh, I wish that I could have done. It's actually, I did, I feel it now, and oh my gosh, boy, I was really struggling before, or how my life would have been different if I was able to be more vulnerable, if I was able to ask for help, if I was able to speak my mind, or if I was able to feel empowered by my anger, um, more in life. And that is part of the healing process too. So then the whole experience of reflecting on is also deeply felt and emotional. And we know from neuroplasticity that that um, intensifies and deepens the learning and deepens the transformation. So through the lens of memory reconsolidation, it really lends so much support and credence to the very things that we've been doing for a long time. But now, with uh, knowledge of memory reconsolidation, we can actually um, heighten and focus and be more specific and have an understanding of what's actually happening in the brain. It sounds like it's quite similar in ways to other trauma-orientated therapies but maybe with the meta-processing being something kind of unique about it. That is a very unique part of ADP. And, um, you know, it's really Diana Fosha, the developer of ADP. Uh, you know, ADP uh, um, comes from, is born out of an early history 
um, in the um, short-term dynamic psychotherapies that were very focused on uh, emotional um, breakthroughs, right? So like getting out of the head and getting, you know, uh, rid of defenses and helping the peer, a person have emotional breakthroughs, really helping them open up to uh, feeling and feeling that needs to be processed in a fuller experience of the self. So um, it was really Diana who, you know, as she's doing the work and has such a, you know, a, a curiosity and interest in the healing process and the relational process, started to spend more time with people once they had the breakthrough and really just asking questions of like, so what's this been like? And our, what we call our magical um, meta-processing question, which is really, what's that like? And what's that like? And we keep asking, you know, it feels different. Well, what's that like? <laughs> you know, how do you experience that in your body? And what's that like? And we see this spiral of transformation that begins to ascend. Um, so out of this interest in healing and growing and the phenomenology became this awareness of this whole huge um, aspect of healing, you know, that we focus on in AEDP as, as essential to the process. It's not enough to just have a breakthrough. There's so much more there. There's so much more that can happen. And in the process of metaprocessing, a lot of things are happening, and that includes the experience becoming a more conscious and woven into the person and becoming more a part of them. It sounds, I'm not sure how familiar you are with EMDR, Ron, um, but there's well, I'm very phases. familiar with the EMDR. I'm an EMDR consultant and I use okay. it all the time. <laughs> and AMD, as far as I'm concerned, like AADP and EMDR are my two loves and they, mm. they're they very simpatico, like, you know. Mm. Well, so, you don't know much more about EMDR than me, but it just made me thinking about um, phase six of EMDR and even phase, no, five, phase five and phase six, the installation of positive cognition and mm -hmm. even the body scan. is. It sounds right. like it's quite similar to that. So in EMDR, after you've done the processing, so you activate, desensitize the, the memory, you look to install the positive cognition. So often with a negative memory there's an encapsulated negative cognition like i'm unlovable i'm not good enough and then that can become adaptive you might feel like i am good enough or i'm i am lovable or i'm strong or i'm safe right and right to install that post processing right right and there's so much overlap you know a an emdr is also a healing oriented model as well you know it's based on the understanding that you know, we have the capacity to process things adaptively, but we need some assistance. And we could say that the same thing about <clears throat> AADP. Um, and that people will naturally, when we tap into the healing process, move forward in an adaptive way. And that includes self-perception, self-perception or perceptions. So where in EMDR, we might front load that and say, you know, what, what are the beliefs that come up for you? Um, it kind of organically happens in ADP, although we might ask about it as well. And we see in the meta-processing that organically what's coming up is a different perception of the self and of others and of new ways of being. And so, you know, we say in EMDR, we're going to install that 
right? And this is similar to metaprocessing in ADP. We're going to make it explicit and we're going to focus on it and we're going to breathe into it and we're going to give a lot of room to it and get those neurons firing and wiring together and install it. Mm, squeeze the lemon. Metaprocessing is one way that it might differ from other forms of therapy, although there's some overlap with EMDR. Any other ways that it, it differs, Ron? Yes. To my mind, the way that the therapist shows up from the get-go is unique to ADP. We know in all models that the relationship is important, right? Um, I always like to reference, um, you know, when... Uh, psychotherapy efficacy research is done well when it may, maybe this has changed but in the past uh, what they would they would control for the non-specific aspects of therapy what were the non-specific aspects the relationship empathy warmth right and they wanted to zero in on that which made a particular therapy uh, unique and possibly be able to identify what was the change mechanism, right? Well, very early on, Diana said, um, we're going to make the nonspecific treatment factors treatment-specific. And that leading uh, as an embodied human being who cares and is empathic and shows up emotionally um, is what we're going to do. You know, and so the question is, well, why? Like, why is that important? Uh, because, again, rewind back to the beginning of all our lives that we know that uh, we're incredibly shaped by emotional experience. The first three years of life, you know, and the first couple of years of life, it's the right brain stuff that really we're living in the world of the right brain. We don't have language. We have affect, we have sensations, we have imagery, and that's really where change is happening, right? The, trauma is stored on the right side of the brain. If you want to affect trauma, we need to enter that side of the brain. So when you mentioned memory reconsolidation, that's what it's doing. It's lighting it up. Okay, so all these different factors are essential. I mentioned why, you know, the security of attachment is and feeling safe in order to explore um, is essential. Well, you can't feel safe with someone who's like not really present, right? You know, so this whole idea of being neutral or, you know, that comes from psychoanalytic days uh, so that the client can like, you know, have their transferential reaction. We don't want to do that. We want to show up now. It looks different in every therapist, and it's different in every diet that you're in. So we're not just um, applying, you know, emotional empathy and presence um, willy-nilly. It really is a dyadically um, achieved thing. But, the, but making that part of the work, you know, brings all this implicit stuff out into the open where it can be uh, worked with, right? So, and we, this is all in service of the client. So when I say being emotionally present, it's how you resonate with the client. It's what you pick up emotionally from the client. 
I've learned in all these years of doing this work that if I really can stay open and curious to my experience in the moment, we resonate on so many levels. So whether it's mirror neurons or whatever it is, I was just sitting with a client yesterday and I was asking him, you know, it was our first session and he's someone who really wants to grow emotionally but recognizes that his reflexive reaction to his emotional experiences to either start talking or go into his head or avoid. And we short circuit that for a moment and I share with him how I'm impressed, you know, or was touched by whatever it was. And we can see he's reflexively has a reaction where he's going to talk and explain why that is. But I could sense that it meant something to him. And I also could sense that it was stirring emotion in him. I felt my eyes tear up a little bit. Um, you know, I'm just sitting there with a the client, right? This is information that I'm picking up on, but then we make explicit and slow down, right? And I ask, so what happens when I said that? Or I affirmed you, what happens inside of you? It looks like you're having some feelings. All of this is getting opened up. So we're using ourselves to really foster a deep connection where the person can feel safe to do these things and they can feel safe to come into their own. Um, and it takes unpacking and working with. And another huge part of this is that people don't have an experience of being seen, felt, received. So when clients say things or share something that it has an impact on another, they may have had caregivers who they felt they couldn't impact or who you know, weren't responsive. Uh, and then they grow up to be adults who don't expect that in their relationships or they're defensive around sharing their experience or they're afraid of what's going to happen because all of that's in our internal working models and wired in. So we're doing that from the get-go and I've never seen that in, in, in any other model. My colleague, Sue Ann Piliero, says the AEDP therapist is the intervention. And I think, you know, she's stating an important fact, which is who we are and how we are has impact on the client. And that's part of the work. It makes me think about internal family systems. I'm not sure how familiar you are with that, Ron. I am. Um, uh, it makes me think of the, being a self-led therapist you know, being self, being curious yes. and how mm, there's something curative about that. It's like, it sounds like it's similar that you're embodying that, which until I came across internal, I don't know, it gave me such a good framework as a therapist to how do I be in a room with someone, which my other, other therapies I'm trained in CBT and EMDR didn't give us as good a framework, I, I think. And it, I, you just feel like the relationships you have and in turn the, the sessions you have with people are infinitely better. Um, it also makes me think of uh, the Dan Siegel acronym PART. I'm not sure if you've ever come across it. Uh, so to be, I, I, and it's it's not just. I think when I read about it, is in relation to 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 children with your children, um, but it's a, to be present, attuned, to resonate, and to build trust, and which it's not too dissimilar right. to being self-led, and uh, yeah, that's kind of what you're, you kind of mentioned there. So it's like, how do I approach each person? And well, it's, it's how would you approach each person in real life? How would you approach your kids? If you've got five kids, they're all probably going to be way different. And 
you approach them Absolutely. differently. So you're present with them, you tune in with them, you resonate with them, which sounds like what you're kind of saying there, where you bring something up and you build trust. And that is the the mechanism for change. I guess it maybe harks back to that old adage around therapy has been the therape- therapeutic relationship being the most important. Yes. And that is such an important point that you're making. I just want to add to that, that in continuation of what you were saying about IFS and being a self-led therapist, um, you know, we're all human beings. We all have had our own attachment experiences. We all have had our own traumas. We all have our own wiring around emotion. That's just in which I stress in my teaching. That's just how it is. So when we can foster, when we can can try and stay in our observer as well as being a part of the experience, when we can info- can foster curiosity and create some space between you know our emotional reaction and how we might respond, we start to loosen some of that up. So that well, you know, when we're sitting with clients, it's going to stir stuff up. Uh, And if we're defended against our emotional experience or we have discomfort around connection or vulnerability, it's, you know, those things are going to get stirred. It's not necessarily a problem if we can, if we're willing to try and stay open and work with that, right? So, so, and and this is just, I think, underscoring what you're saying about being self-led, right? In IFS, they would say a part of a therapist has parts too, right? And parts get activated. And if we could pay attention to those parts and understand those parts, they may be able to step aside and, you know, give us room to lead from self, right? And uh, and this is what we're I'm talking about in terms of ADP, if we can get curious about know and understand, um, you know, and be doing our own work, it can free us up to then really, like, as I have found in 25 plus years or whatever, how many years it's been in doing this work, you know, the more I'm able to do that, the more there's such richness there uh, that comes with the human experience and it comes with, you know, what we're learning. It's empathy. We're all wired to empathize, right? So when you're sitting there with the, when you're sitting, and what does that mean? You feel what the other person is feeling, right? You know, and if we can feel that without getting triggered, you know, or recognized when we're getting triggered, um, that's such a wealth, that's such a resource to us. Yeah, it's, it's unbelievably helpful. And I think something that these more experiential therapies tap into you know the importance of that experience the importance of the relationship that i wouldn't have been too enamored with when i first came across them i think coming from a cbt background it's very much um left brain am i getting that right more yes. kind of mm-hmm. um, uh, it doesn't focus as much on that whereas i always felt like it was kind of missing something and that's where i guess looking at trauma-informed therapies and what's come out of that has been so helpful for my practice at least and um, we've spoken a little bit about some of the major components of uh, ADP. So the, the importance of the relationship and the importance of metaprocessing. Anything that we haven't touched upon that we have We talked about the importance of experience and mm, why that is. And we talked mm-hmm. about neuroplasticity. Attachment and neuroscience. Is there anything that we, we haven't touched upon that would be helpful to, to go over? I think I just want to underscore the importance of a lens that looks 
that understands that health is present all the time, right? Yes, someone's defensive defenses can be really strong. They can be harsh. But, you know, when you're innately wired to heal and you're innately wired to actualize, to transform, it's never gone. And it makes a huge difference if we're, if we under, if that's part of our stance and we start to attune to and see more and more flickers, moments where health shows up where there's a vulnerability or some emotion. Like it's, you know, it's like what I was just telling you about this experience with the client. It wasn't overt, but right alongside his defenses, which were to talk, you know, rather than make space for his feelings, is something that's pulsing inside. There's feelings there. There's a desire to open up. And it makes a huge difference as a therapist if you're really on the lookout for that. You know, rather than, okay, what, what's going wrong and why, where are the problems and what do we have to fix to, from the get-go, being um, sensitized to the power of and the presence of transformance. And that is a very different lens as well. And it has a huge impact on how we work with people. As a clinician, it's very hopeful. Well, I guess it's very hopeful for both sides. Yeah, because when the client, you notice it and you start to focus their, you know, help pay attention to it, that's a very thing that comes up, which hope is, which we talk about as a transformational affect. And hope fuels uh, change. Hope fuels, their, hope means there's possibilities. People come to therapy feeling hopeless. Some people, right? And feel like nothing's gonna change. Uh, and when you start to see in them and they start to feel and connect, uh, things really start to shift. From practicing EMDR and being aware of IFS and I use that language quite a lot. I don't know, it, 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 it's a completely different way of approaching things. It's like, it's. It's like there's there's an innate ability in you, in the person that you're working with, to heal. If we can just get the right things going, it will look after itself. You're just trying to maneuver through things, and it does itself. Like it's 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 there's, there's a real kind of magic about it. In the same way that like our bodies can be amazing with how they heal, like how stem cells work, or even just how it heals a, a, a normal cut. That's it. That's so well stated. I'm touched to hear you say that. I'm aware we're a bit short on time, uh, Ron. I would be interested to, to hear about any suggestions you might have for people who are interested in learning more about ADP or even getting involved in ADP. Yeah, so the first thing that comes to mind is to go to the AADP Institute website, which is aadpinstitute.org. There's so much there. It really is a huge resource. Um you want to start to read about AADP, there are, we have a bunch of articles um, and references, I mean, articles that you can read for free. Uh, and, you know, you can find out about the different books and the resources and the videos. 
And then you can also find out about the trainings. Um, and you can find out about people who might be in your area or in this, in this day and age who live in the virtual world, um, people you can connect with um, that are, you know, doing AEDP training or in AEDP training, offering AEDP training. There are a whole host of different courses. There are a whole host of different possibilities. You can um, start to get our newsletter. Um, we're going to be launching a blog. So there's like a lot of things. So that would be like the um, hub, you know, that could then um, connect you with, connect anyone with a lot of different uh, possibilities. Great. Thanks, Ron. I'll be sure to check it out myself. Um, and thanks for your time today, Ron. That's been brilliant to hear. It's, uh, it's great to hear therapies that take that approach to healing, because in my opinion, it's, that's the way to do it. And there's a few different ways to do it, but there's uh, those similarities that they share. It really feels like that's the right way to do it. Well, that's so nice to hear. It's really been a pleasure to be here. Thanks for the opportunity to be able to talk about ADP. And I, um, I'm really uh, loving you know, your resonance and what you're sharing feel spot on and it's nice to know that across the miles you're out there championing healing as well thanks very much Ron. you're um, welcome thanks thanks again all the best